All right. Before we get started, I do have to say none of us are licensed therapists, counselors, or psychologists, so don't trust us for any type of that advice. But um, we are going to be sharing life experience and conversations about our mental health on here. So there is potentially a trigger warning. Remember, if you are having ideas or thoughts of suicide, make sure to call 988 if you're in the United States. It is the new number for the suicide hotline. After that, if you're on my Twitch stream right now and you look in my top left, that little bar there is the amount of donations we've received for the charity I set up through Streamlabs. All of the proceeds will be going to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And if you donate $50 or more, you will be receiving a shirt that I'm making in conjunction with uh, the foundation purely for the stream. If you want to buy that shirt later on, you'll be able to. And all of those proceeds will also go to the charity as well. That being said, how's everyone doing tonight? We are definitely doing. So what's something you guys want to talk about today? Can be anything on your minds or anything you're going through. I don't know. I, I've been, uh, I've been doing a college. College, that's yeah. rough. It is. It is. Uh, I'm a, uh, I'm a game design major. Uh, I go to Full Sail University, and which is an Excel course. Let's just say stress is a big part of my life lately. Oh, I bet. I don't have too much experience with college because I dropped out after the first semester. But that first semester was worse than I could have ever imagined. Uh, I'm not even past the first semester. <laughs> oh, so you're really in there right now. So I, I know you also stream as well. How do you handle college and streaming at the same time? With streaming, I honestly, it's just, I kind of just stream when I have the time, uh, but usually I wake up in the morning and I do all the schoolwork I can, or all the schoolwork I feel uh, like I, my mental capacity can do, and then I get on and I stream. I love playing video games, so... So do you more use it as like a stress relief or more trying to make a career out of it? Uh, definitely more of a stress, a stress relief. Alright. Natty, are you still there? I am as of always, just kind of listening in. Awesome. People's, uh, how, they, how they're doing. So I can feel that balance extreme stuff. I'm the world's most inconsistent streamer. The one thing that I keep on top of is my podcast, and that's it. I am the worst streamer of all time. To you, how does the stress of a podcast compare to the stress of streaming? Podcast, uh, it's arguably worse, but also better. Because when I'm doing a podcast, it feels very easy. Because all I gotta do, invite someone on, 
takes some questions from my outline and usually the conversation sparks from there but at the same time it's super stressful since I do everything one take you know no edits no cuts I mean you know you were just on it oh yeah shameless it's, plug by the way check that out on uh, YouTube after you're done listening here podcast is my child uh, what was the name of that one again gaming but at what uh, cost gaming but at what cost yeah so checking that tv out after the, you get done here um so i know personally for me i use gaming as mainly a stress relief and escape from reality does anyone else feel like they do that almost scary oh dude i don't even want to get cod right now because i know i won't get off of it don't don't <laughs> i put hey, a little bit too much time into this game i will say that game is it's pretty good like they, they, they were kind of slipping with uh in my opinion they were kind of slipping with cold war and vanguard oh yeah i've heard it's basically a throwback to black ops 2 and that's the part that worries me Close, close. You don't understand. I have well, over eight thousand hours. The Black Ops One Gold Camo, though. Yeah. Gold Camo is really well done in this game. I, as much as I hate to point it out, I have all of my secondaries already gold in this game. All the launchers, <laughs> nice. I'm finishing up snipers right now. My my riot shield is plat. Like I am just a terrible human being. I was level 55 day two. I played too much of this game. I have nothing else to do. And you think, you know, being a streamer and a content creator, I would use my brain and stream it. But I could not stream this game because I go so brainless. By the way, really, absolutely really quick, if anyone in the chat has any questions they'd like us to answer, free, uh, feel free to put it in there. Uh, but right now we're talking about uh, the new Modern Warfare 2 game. It's definitely something. It is. It is. So I have well over 10,000 hours on Black Ops 2 on the Xbox 360. So that's the part that worries me. Hey, I mean, I would, I would say give it a try. You might, you might really like it. There you go. You're set for a couple of years. Uh, well, as long as I don't let the rest of my life crumble around me while I'm doing so, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, other than that, though... I mean, if I'm honest, this game is really well put together. Like, the actual gameplay aspect. But, like, the UI and everything else is so horribly broken, it's funny. But for once, the actual gameplay... There's almost nothing screwed up. Like, it's a genuinely good game. Some of the maps are kind of terrible. The way people play this game is definitely bad. But when you get into the game, it's not awful. Yeah, so I actually saw something about the UI on TikTok the other day. Because I follow one of the, uh, one of the developers for Activision. And he basically said the UI they're using now was never actually supposed to be used in-game. 
but the lead developer didn't know what was going on and just told the guy below him to stick something in that'll fit. Now, I'm not sure if that's true or not, or if it was a joke or whatever, but it is Activision, so. I mean, I believe it. I mean, I, if I'm looking at one of my snipers right now, and it says one of my ammo types is 300 Magnum, and the description is ammo underscore 300 WM underscore description. Yes, that is definitely the ammo, and you can't unlock it. It is just there. No, that definitely seems like it'd be on purpose. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. That 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 meant to make it to be in game. I mean, other than that, what is say like not necessarily a mental health issue, but something you're going through in life that you would want to talk about here on stream? Oh, life's definitely been kicking my ass. But when doesn't life kick my ass? Is my question. Dude, that's the whole reason I started this podcast. Life kicks everyone's ass. Oh, like nonstop five years straight, just getting my ass beat. I'd have they to say, do not like, care. <laughs> I'd have to say, like after, not even after, like right when we got that, hey, go home for two weeks, quarantine. And it turned into a year, about a year and a half. I think after we all came out of quarantine, it just threw everything into whack. Yeah, I could see that for some people. Uh, personally, I've been considered an essential worker literally the entire pandemic. So I didn't get a single day of quarantine, <laughs> same, voluntary same. or otherwise, but... It kind of fucked everything when the uh, actually valuable companies had to do that. I, I feel bad for the toilet paper companies. Oh, I don't. They made millions of dollars in like a week. No, not, not the companies. Let me rephrase that. Not the companies, the workers. Yeah, that that is. A, <laughs> the workers. I think I feel worse for them than probably anyone else in this pandemic. Um, no, so I know personally for me, I just got a new job, well, possibly two new jobs, depending on how the first one goes. Uh, I was able to quit the borderline abusive workplace that I was in, so I am extremely happy to be away from that. That's definitely good. Yeah, so for one, it means I've got more time to do stuff like this. And more stream time, potentially. And the most important thing of all, being able to spend actual time with my family throughout the week. I've been struggling with a lot of my family issues. It's not that my family's going to shit, it's just... Mom's got breast cancer. I'm a recover. Well, as much as I say I'm a recovering addict, I mean, I've been covered for like two years. But I'm such a heavy smoker. Whether it's nicotine... We, I mean, I, I smoke a little bit too much. I don't know, even know if that's possible, but it really does feel like I smoke a lot. And anybody who knows me or has been in my community for even like a stream or two knows that I'm a heavy smoker. Oh, I feel that. I that's probably don't go more than two minutes of a stream without hitting my vape. 
As a matter of fact, I muted my mic and was hitting mine while you were saying that. Yeah, I am, uh, I, I smoke, uh, probably a little bit too, too much for my own good. And actually, as much as I want to say it's bad, it's really, it is bad. Let me be 100% clear. It's definitely bad, the amount of weed that I smoke. And it has put an absolute hurting on the money that I have in my bank account. But damn, have I never felt so not stressed. It, it feels for once that I actually feel like decent. No, I can get that. I think Danielle might have a little more experience with that than I do because I've pretty much stopped smoking weed altogether just because it was not doing good things for me. I would get way too high way too quickly when I would smoke. And oh, it... yeah, I can definitely relate to that. Not gonna lie. I would say as yeah. long as... I, I would say as long as it's not, weed. like, hindering you in any way... I mean, of course, of course, it costs money, but everything costs money. It'll also cost significantly less if you grow your own plant. That too. I just, like, I, I, as long as you're not like I, I, as long as it's not leading you down a bad path, and it's actually helping, what's the problem? And let's be very clear here. People say, oh, you can't get addicted to weed. You can get addicted to anything. You can. My Strange Addictions is a perfect example of you can get addicted to anything. Just because it doesn't have the same quote-unquote addictive qualities of, like, opioids and stuff like that, doesn't mean it's not addictive. You definitely can. If you do shit long enough, it's addicting. What most people don't realize when they make that statement is when they say that, they're talking about a chemical addiction to the thing itself. No one considers the fact of a mental addiction, which is very possible to get to just about anything. I mean, hell, half of the people here on Twitch have a addiction to gaming, but it's not considered an addiction because there's no chemicals causing it. Yeah, I would honestly, I would I mean, say, unless you're like booting something up and getting that dopamine. Oh God! <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but like, I would, I would say that a mental, a mental uh, addiction is definitely a lot stronger than a, a chemical. It takes a lot of uh, willpower just to stop what your what your brain is telling you to do. Oh, for sure. Like, um, so I haven't had any intense addictions to heavy drugs or anything like that but i was severely addicted to gaming for many years going through middle and high school to the point where it was severely affecting my health and i refused to admit it because my thought process was always well there's nothing bad that i'm doing while gaming i mean i i've seen uh people in my life they were they were they were big uh they're addicted to crack, and uh, I've watched. Uh, actually, my own my own mother was uh, addicted to uh, heroin. I, now she is uh, five years older. Something like that. It's, yeah, but then I see 
Um, like my brother, he's uh, definitely has a huge gaming addiction. I don't know if he still has it now. I haven't seen him in a while, but he definitely had a definitely had a huge gaming addiction. Man, dude. He could not break it. He tried and he, he couldn't. Yeah, no, it seems like the hardest part about any kind of addiction is the mental standpoint, just because, sure, you can break yourself from the habit of, let's say, doing a drug, as long as you can fight yourself through the withdrawals, but a pure mental addiction is completely different. I mean, there's no medication to help you with a mental addiction, whereas for, say, um... For heroin, you can always get methadone, which counteracts the um, withdrawals that you would be having. Yeah. There isn't a fix-all drug for a mental addiction. There is not. Like, I mean, of course, you can go and try, like, hypnotherapy or something like that, but one, what are the chances you're going to find someone who will do that? And two, what are the chances that it's actually going to work? No, so, um, Knight, is the, if you don't mind answering, what kind of addiction were you dealing with? I mean, there is a very long list. An uncomfortably long list. If we take, like, the top three, that would probably be, I mean, my coke addiction wasn't very bad. I'd put that at, like, number three or something because it wasn't very long because cocaine is expensive. Very, very expensive. Uh, next, I would probably put... Probably hydrocodone. It wasn't... I kind of mixed it with my number one, which was Xanax, which I did for... Six years? I think I'm coming up on like two or three years sober. I don't even remember. But there's such a giant gap in my memory of my life when it was my Xanax addiction because you forget so much when you start mixing drugs together. So if you smoke a whole bunch of weed and pop a few Xanax, you don't remember shit after that Xanax hits. That's just gone from your memory. So for a very long time, Xanax was my go-to. Let me grab a bottle, pour it out in my hand, and eat them all. Because it made me not feel anything, and it got me through life. Was there, like, a specific trigger that caused you to start doing these drugs? Or was it more of, like, a in-the-moment thing that just kind of happened? Well, the real issue of all of my mental problems comes from, you know, my father leaving, but it, it's, my mental issues aren't on him. Yes, at the very center, it's my father, but there's been so much more shit chalked onto it that it, it really doesn't, it doesn't do it justice, you could say. I can't blame my dad entirely. Because, yeah, I, you know, smoked weed for the first time after he left. And I started, you know, I did my first pill. But I definitely chose to go down that path. Because I was never 
forced. I was offered, and I said, yeah, fuck it, why not? Now, I do have to ask, what age were you when you started using? I started smoking weed when I was 11. Beat me by a couple of years. Um, no, it seems like that age between about 10 and probably about 16 or 17 is when you get more exposed to stuff like that as well. But um, I can argue it's depends on the culture you're around because if you're in a you know a fairly decent place the most you'll probably see is you know some people smoking weed and there might be like i don't know something else but like when i lived in atlanta it's crack heroin meth weed pills lean all of it and Two doors down from my house was a trap house. In front of my house was a trap house. Around the corner from my house was a gas station where everybody dealt. I was surrounded by it for a very long time before I moved. So, you know, it was pretty easy to get whatever I wanted. No matter how obscure you want ketamine, they can find it and get it to you. You want LSD? They've got a chemist stuck in that trap house somewhere, ready to whip it up for you. I mean, it was just insane, the amount of drugs that I've seen, I've handled, and I've done. So, do you think the ease of access is the biggest thing that led you to having an addiction to them? Oh, definitely. The, the leading factor to me having the addiction was the ease of access, and that my plugs realized that I could form a habit fairly easily so they would give me better and cheaper prices to buy more and more for, from them so I could keep using and keep buying. I mean, there's some people who made a lot of money off of me. What was, like, the big thing that made you decide to go sober? When I moved, I had... I knew no one anymore. I moved back to my original hometown. I didn't know anyone anymore besides one of my friends that I met in like elementary school. I had no access to any of the shit, so it wasn't that it was my conscious choice to stop. I just did. So I felt like shit for two, three months after I moved, going through the withdrawals of so many different types of drugs. And then, uh, dude I'm talking about, he smokes. He's always, uh, I introduced him to smoking weed, actually. And so he's smoking, and he asked if I want to have a smoke sometime, and I was like, yeah, sure. I hadn't smoked in, like, eight, almost six, seven months, and I've just kept to basically only smoking from there. Do you think if, and, uh, say, you moved back to where you grew up at and you were back in the same environment, you would relapse and go back to using, or...? Would you make that conscious choice not to go back there again? Well, I don't know. Ease of access is ease of access. Like, I now I know people that I could get some stuff from. It's definitely not the same from where I was. But I definitely, you know, if I wanted some, I could get some. It's usually kind of... I'm in kind of the mentality now that if I happen upon it, let's say, you know, this dude's like, hey, you want a Xanax? sure I'm not gonna deny it but it's not like I'm going out and seeking to find it 
So I saw something interesting proposed through uh, through a petition the other day, and it was supposed to be the quote-unquote bill to end um, overdoses and drug use and the war on drugs in the United States. Basically, the idea is that, look, if we take all of the money we're giving the DEA and the ATF to track down these drug dealers and set up a bunch of rehab hospitals and a bunch of buildings and then go through all of our evidence lockers in the U.S. and take all the drugs and just put them in barrels and give them out to people for free, it's going to completely lower the... Uh, chance of overdose or relapse or new addictions forming to drugs. What are your guys' thoughts on that? Well, I find rehab is actual bullshit. I mean, it is purely from making money. Rehab does not help. As much as some people want to say that it works, I just, I feel like it's completely useless. I feel like it does not help whatsoever. I've been to four or five different rehab centers. I went to like one of the top ten in the country, shit just doesn't work. Yeah, half the time rehabs just kind of sit there and throw in your face, oh, this is what you're doing wrong, like, this is how you should have went about it, and it's like, well, this is the way that my mind felt was going to fix it, not what you're saying. And also just kind of how the U.S. is not to get, you know, very like super political or into religion but most of the u.s is rooted in religion let's be very honest and a lot of rehabs try to use that as a driving force group therapy group prayer stuff like that and there's nothing particularly wrong with that it's just it doesn't work how people think it'll work i mean unless you've been an addict you have no idea how it works and how you feel rehab in my eyes is just complete bullshit the only way an addict is actually going to stop what they're doing is if they actually want want it or something in their life literally makes it to where they feel like they've actually hit more than just rock bottom i also believe that uh rock bottom is a social construct you can go much lower than what you believe to be your rock bottom and sometimes those are what makes people fall back or relapse and sometimes OD because all they know is this makes me feel better right now versus the shit that I'm going through. This is an instant release of dopamine and makes me forget about what's happening right now and it makes me feel better. So why don't I just keep doing this so I can always feel better? And that's what leads you up to overdoses because slowly you get more and more used to it in your system. You need more and more. One day you overdo it. And that's how it is. Most of the time it's not even intentional. I mean, I've had three or four unintentional overdoses. So is your guys' experience with uh, rehab more a... You guys did this wrong, so we're going to trap you here until the withdrawals wear off and then hope you learned your lesson? Or is it just nothing beneficial at all? It's really just, I hope you learned your lesson. Drugs are bad. Don't do them. So they go through their again like school. Honestly, yeah. 
but just it is, tailored yes. for adults. What do you think they would need to do to make rehab an actually successful and helpful thing for drug addicts that actually yeah. want to change? They would need to take it more for what it is and that's an actual mental issue, not just here's what you're doing, you're doing this wrong, but why? Why is what's actually causing you? And half the time, most people that are addicts, you find that they either have underlying mental setbacks already, like depression, ADHD, ADD, bipolar, whatever. And then there's some where it literally runs into the fa runs through the family line of addiction problems, like addiction. There, I know there's studies out there. I don't know exactly where they are. I haven't have to look them up and actually find them. But I do know that they have done studies of showing the difference of the brains and how the wiring goes. Yeah. So uh, the first study that I know of that came out was actually back in. 2015 by uh i believe it was john hopkins university showing that the wiring is completely different from a quote unquote normal person that doesn't struggle with addiction because nobody does drugs because oh it's doing drugs we do drugs because we have underlying issues that we don't know how to properly deal with but we know if we take this or smoke this or inject this and it makes us feel better and we feel euphoric and that leads to us well if i just do it again i can get the same feeling and that's how most drugs are you will never get that first high again that's just not how it works yeah i agree with that because like drugs like they make you feel either happy sad whatever like that makes you feel depends on how your body is it will make you feel that some type of way, but once that wears off, you're right back at it just because of the fact that you want to feel that type of way. Yeah, like I could still, I still remember the very first time I did coke and the way it felt and just how I felt versus the very last time that I touched it and the complete difference and just the high, the experience and the feel of it from the first time to that last time. But yet there's also that big chunk that you just don't remember. Like, you know that it made you feel good and you know that it may have helped you in a certain type of way, but you don't actually remember, what did I do? Yeah, because I've been in that situation. Like, I um, I was taking care of my uh, grandfather at the age of 18 because he needed some money to take care of him while I was going to college for a semester. And, uh... After, like, he went to bed, like, my best friend and I, like, we used to go outside and we would just, like, smoke weed on the front porch. And, like, you know, it made me feel like, you know, hey, like, this is, like, so nice. Like, you know, I'm relieved of stress. Like, I'm happy, like, in this moment of time. When I woke up in the morning, I'm like, what the fuck did I just realize I did? Yeah, I, like, I remember there was one night I sat there, went on a fucking binger. Me and my friends, we did an eighth, no, an eight ball together along with going to buy more after we finished that eight ball which is three and a half to about four grams of coke and then we ended up buying more up to probably another four grams that night individually and waking up like yeah I could remember the conversations like they were great deep 
deep conversations, getting to know each other, but it felt like the worst hangover of your life. Like worse than probably your first hangover ever. So if you guys are talking to someone and say they feel like they're starting to get addicted to like say marijuana or Xanax or something similar like that, that was meant to help them in the beginning, what would your advice be for them to do? I I mean, I still smoke weed to this day, so I can't talk too much about on the weed thing, but it is definitely an addiction. But you gotta look at it for what it is. You're smoking this not because, you know, you're, oh, I'm cool, I'm doing drugs. You're smoking this because you have a problem and you feel like this is the only way you can address it. Everything, uh, not everything is bad, but anything without moderation is bad. Because medicine, Xanax is a good drug for stress relief and panic attacks, but you take it out of that moderated subject and you just give it to someone to use on their own time, it's not the same. They just keep taking it and keep taking it because it's not it's without moderation so all that happens is the continuous take and the continuous taking of it yeah it's like for me like if somebody came up to me which I actually had somebody come up to me and tell tell me that they felt like they were slipping you know I what I told them was well, you realize that you you realize what it is. You you're aware of it. So now you need to try to take a step back. Change, you know, if you need to just spend some time alone, not around the people that you're doing it with. If you're doing it around people, or start trying to go around people that you know are not in that style or not going to let get it. So that way you separate yourself for a bit and then you can experience what it is without it and it kind of helps like show them that you need to have a break you can't keep consistently doing it you need to let your body come down and that helps you regulate because my one of my closest friends he's borderline my brother he smokes throughout the day he smokes when he wakes up, smokes when he goes to bed, everything. So his, his body doesn't know what quote-unquote normal feels like because he is always high. He's never sober. So when he wakes up, he's high. Goes to bed, he's high. Throughout the day, he's high. He does everything while smoking. And I smoke a good bit, but he smokes double or triple my amount. And he has to keep buying more and buying more and buying more because he has to smoke so much to get high and he's always trying to reach a certain level even though he's smoking all the time so his tolerance is just building and building and building and building. I'd have to agree with that because I, I have a friend, like he's one of my closest friends and uh like, I feel bad because I introduced smoking to him. I like smoking weed. And now, like, 
I have calmed down on it, and my other friend, like my other closest friend, also has like calmed down on it. But he just just continued to smoke and smoke and smoke. And now I, I I've told I've told him as as his friend and like hey you need, you need to slow down. This is there's not a time where I haven't seen you high in the last like year or two. And uh, I, don't, I don't I don't I didn't explain it exactly like that, but I really like I don't know if I got to like yeah I, I would agree that what um. Had it said about, hey, take a step back and actually like look at what what you're doing and take a break for a little bit. Yeah, I agree with that because like, whenever you get high, you just live in the moment. Like you're just like sitting there and you're like, okay, yeah, like this is what we're doing now. Like we're relaxing or we're out doing something. And, like, you sit there and, like, you wake up the next morning and let's say, like, you don't get high the next day or the next, you know, two days or whatever. You realize, like, what you're doing is, like, you're living in the moment kind of thing. But when you don't do it for so many days or weeks or months, your eyes open up and be like, wow, like, I want to live in the moment and look at the world in a different perspective than when I'm just high. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because, like, I literally 12 months ago, I was fucking, I was smoking damn near every day. Like, I woke up, I, I was your friend waking up, I was getting high. I smoked before I ate, before I cleaned, before I left the house, be- everything. And then last December, I found out I was pregnant, and I had to literally stop everything. So, and then now I have my daughter. I still smoke, but it's maybe once a week, twice a week, and it's the smallest amount, and it's like, dang, I was going through almost two grams in two days versus I barely finish a bowl. Oh, I can relate with you on that because, like, I have a son, and when I was was smoking, like, almost every night, and... I was sitting there, and I found out I was pregnant. I'm like, okay, I'm cutting back on it. Like, I haven't done it. And, like, realizing now, it's like, now he's, like, 10 months old. And, I mean, I smoke maybe three three times a week. So I do it normally, like, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. And I sit there, I'm like, you know, it's for me, like, smoking weed, like, maybe, like, those three days is, like, kind of, like, a stress labor because, like, I, one, I am a stay-at-home mom, and I do take care of the, you know, my son. Oh, it's so and stressful. I take care of my, uh, take care of the house and the animals. It's just, like, it's a lot of work. And it is. It you is. You don't realize how much it is. Too. Yeah. But it, it's funny because, like, for me, I got, I got prescribed it, like, last year because I'm in a state that just got legalized, um, but it was medically first. And my psychiatrist had literally prescribed it to me. So having, because with me, I'm type one bipolar. Type one bipolar is already accompanied with addiction issues, which I struggled with my entire life, just not always in the form of drugs, which is completely possible. Yeah, because like, I know like, 
I got di- um I got depression and like I'm sitting here I'm like wow like you know I didn't realize I had this and like after having my son and he had to be in like the NICU for like a whole week and two days I started getting like really like bad postpartum depression on top of it and I was like what the hell like I need to go and get help so like I went to like group therapy that like my doctor was like telling me she's like yeah you guys go to, like you can go to group therapy like your insurance will cover and everything I went to group therapy and like that was basically like a joke to me because like you're sitting there and you're not really getting to talk about yourself like yeah I mean you talk about yourself for like a short period of time and then like you do an activity that's not really helping anybody yeah it's literally just like oh hey come near come be with people don't be alone and it's like okay well who can I talk to about how it literally felt laying on a table and you not being able to sit there and hold your own child that you just spent months growing and caring for and not even meeting them yet. And right. then all of a sudden they're like, yep, yeah, so we have to take your kid away to the NICU. I, I oh, know yeah. what it's like for the NICU. And nobody, nobody sits there and actually wants to talk about how it actually felt and if you do try it's most people don't even understand or not even willing to try to understand because it's like well think about you know at least they're fine now like look you know everything's okay they made it and it's like yeah I mean I appreciate that and that's great it's fantastic but why can't we talk about how it felt or why is it so hard for you to want to hear how that person felt going through it in that moment. Right. So uh, I've got a question from the Twitch stream chat for Tatted and Danielle, and that's, as stay-at-home moms, what are your guys' advice for handling the stress of being a stay-at-home mom if you can't smoke or can't do drugs or anything like that? Me, personally, I put my mind into, like, let's say cleaning um, or... Um, just putting your time into your child because like you got to think about putting your stress off to the side and like really focusing on like how your child makes you feel and not really worrying about a lot of the other stress that you have going on in your life because if you don't then you're sitting here and you're freaking out and you're not really enjoying that time with your child as much as you should be and realizing the life that you brought into the world I would have to agree with that. Um, It's like if with not smoking as much or anything like that or even not smoking at all, just spending that quality time and giving that love to your kid. And, you know, you can take that stress out by cleaning and, like, realizing, like, man, this makes me feel good. Like, your environment affects how you feel. So having more of that, taking that time if you want to clean it and have it clean, it kind of helps you feel a little bit more structured and just put together, like, man, I do got this. Like, no matter what, like, I do. Right, or, like, even baking. Like, you know. Oh, my gosh, it's so fun. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. It's like, you know, if you enjoy baking or cooking or, like, you know, talking to your significant other and be like, hey, like, what time do you think you'll be home and start making dinner and like you know maybe plan a date night you know even though it might not be going out or doing anything like you're spending money and doing something at home 
you can always enjoy that time and like, you know, putting that stress off to the side about, you know, what your child's doing or, you know, how messy the house is because your house is always going to be messy being a stay at home mom, regardless, because you have to go through so much. And, um, you know, just like spending that time with that quality, like that quality time with that person will make you feel like you're levitating off the world, regardless about what's going on. Yeah. Like you'll, there will be times where you still probably question, man, is this actually real? And just don't try to take everything on at once. Just do one thing. If all you have the energy to do is sit there and hold your child and love on them, you did not have a wasted day. You still had a successful day because you taught your kid that it is okay to just be with the ones you love, which is a very important lesson for anybody to learn. And if the next day all you're able to is to clean a corner of the living room or say, I fed the animals and I was able to sweep, that's an accomplishment of its own. And never yeah, just like take it day by day. Exactly. Like ne- just don't let easier said than done. But try not to let the weight of everything resting on your shoulders for keeping up the home along with caring for your child or children get to you and just know that even your laziest days are still successful days because it was filled with love and you now have that memory of you know just showing your kid a new thing or literally just having your kids see you just relax and they just get to be them that's still a success definitely no and i would like to say as uh for those of you who don't know danielle is my girlfriend she does stay home and take care of our son all day um whether you think we do or not most men will not care if the house is spotless when they get home as long as it's even slightly okay to walk we are probably happy with it and we are proud to be home yes every every place I need a walkway to the fridge and in the bathroom. Exactly. Well, I also need a walkway to my office if I want to play video games. But yes, beyond that, none of us are going to freak out. Well, most of us aren't going to freak out if the house isn't spotless, especially if you open up to us and say, hey, I had a very long and stressful day. The kid's been fussy all day. Would you mind helping me a little when you get home? Unless we are complete assholes. We are more than likely going to say, sure, I'll help you when I get home. Let's do this really quick. So oh, it's. I have definitely done that to Christian. Like, I've sat there and I've, like, I've called him when he was working with the tow company. I was like, hey, when are you coming home? And he's like, soon, why? And I'm like, look, I'm like, I need you to come home and take care of your son because he's stressing me out. Like, he's not, like, he's not wanting to, like, calm down. Like, he's just fussy. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. And Christian's like, okay. He goes, I'll be home after, like, whatever cars he's got to do. And then I'm like, okay, you take care of that. I'll cook dinner or whatever. Or, you know, he'll cook dinner and take care of our son and put him down and whatever. Like, it's sometimes, like, it's days like that where you just, like, you need to have that break for yourself. 
Yeah, like my friend the Clown Prince said on stream, a house is meant to be a home, and a, a home is meant to look lived in, not a showroom. That's correct. But no, look, Christian, you also need to have a walkway to the uh, front door, too, when you have to leave for work. Nah, that's not that important. I'll jump out the window. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, um, you can even make the walkway fancy, put glitter. That really gets under there. Yeah, and no. Oh, don't forget about candles, too. Please, no um, glitter. Please. That will piss me off beyond anything else. So what if I put glitter, glitter on our dog and then start shaking it off? That would be... Interesting, actually. He's so fluffy that I'm not sure it would come out ever. Yeah, you take a... He shakes with the glitter. You take, like, a, a still frame photo of him. Yeah, that could be cool, actually. That would be a really cool picture, though. Just a ball of glitter floating around him. I'll be making you your glitter walkway. So, um... Backtracking a little bit to the last section, um... The... AFSP Streamwatch asked, what is some advice for people that want to get sober but either don't know where to start or are struggling with doing it? I personally would say uh, talk to family. Battle. It's an entirely mental battle more than it is physical or the actual addiction. It is entirely a mental battle because you have to have the will to quit. Because you could say, oh, I want to, you know, I want to get sober, I want to quit. But if you don't have the mental will to do that, or if you don't feel like you're, or I guess, if you try to go about it in a haphazard way, you're not going to get anything from it. I mean, we've talked about how we don't really feel like rehab works, and it doesn't work. But there's always a special case for different people. Because... Therapy never really worked for me, but I know it works for others. It is entirely a mental dependent battle. So is it more like um, someone can't make you get sober? You have to want to be sober yourself? That's yes. correct. And you have and to have the willpower to commit to that? You can't really <coughs> give up halfway? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and the fact that you're inquiring and asking a question like that implies that either you yourself or somebody has possibly come to you and has asked you. And that shows the first step of they want it, they just don't, they need that guidance. And that's when it's, you know, yes, it's that mental battle, but it's also you do start doing research as well look into different ways start talking to people about it you know and it's Even a hard it, thing to do it is. it is not a walk in a park uh, like some people think it is it is a hard thing to do and if you don't have the right people around you it can be a lot harder than it needs to be yeah and that's when it's very important every step of the way especially in the very beginning you have to look at yourself you have to in a sense you have to try to look at yourself from the outside and be like so this is what people see of me is walking around looking clocked out or sitting there for hours just not there but there and it's like damn okay well i notice i do more around these people so maybe I need to spend less time with them. 
Yeah, but you're on like the good people who like don't influence it. Like, you know, just sit around with people who want to just sit there and like have a conversation with you or like, you know, spend time with you. And, you know, be around like the good vibe people and not like the people who are on a like, you know, peer pressuring you into doing it. Yeah, like that, that'll really kind of help actually move you more into the direction of, okay, I maybe now I do feel ready to go to therapy or at least try it which in itself is a battle. And it's not, you, the people that can find their therapist on first try are lucky. Oh yeah, cause like I know I go to therapy for my depression and the therapist who I have, she's like amazing. And I was like, wow, like I feel so much better after talking to her about like all my stuff that I'm going through. I would also say uh, with like, have people around you that you value their opinion because like for me i don't i don't care what other people think of me i don't care about other people's opinions of like of me but there's those select few people where if they were to be like hey what are you doing you gotta you gotta stop doing that i would i would sit back and really think about what i'm doing so i would have your group of people as if it's just you and another person but make sure that they hold you accountable if they if you tell them hey i want to stop doing drugs make sure that make it known that you want to stop doing drugs and have them hold you accountable agreed i also agree with what clown prince said that that's completely true you have to remind yourself that you're not doing this for somebody else you're doing it for you. Yes, there might be other factors guaranteed. You know, there's usually other factors at play, you know, and if you're like a parent or something, then usually that plays into the part. But at the end of the day, you're still doing it for you because it is your health, your body, your choices. Tom, Dick, and Harry can't come over and be like, hey, you're not going to do this. Right, because like you can't have like family or like significant others or friends that come over and be like okay well we're just gonna you know cut you off cold turkey like you're not gonna do this anymore there's always gonna be like some way somehow you're always gonna find yourself back in that space unless you put your mind straight towards about getting sober yeah because you can't just alienate yourself it yes it might stop you from doing it but then you then have to deal with a whole different Correct. And you don't want to do that. Nobody can make the choice to quit but you. Exactly. Yeah. Now, I would also like to add in, um, so if your friends or family members are there and they see that you have a problem and then they tell you that they don't think it's a big deal, you may want to reconsider having them be major factors in their life or in your life because there's a high chance that they aren't looking out for what's best for you individually. Because I can, I can tell you from experience with friends and family members, if a family member legitimately cares about your health and safety and they see you struggling with these issues, they are going to have an honest conversation with you about it. They're not just going to say, yeah, keep doing those drugs all the time, man. You're more fun to be around. That's what some jackass using you for entertainment does, not someone that actually oh, yeah. cares about you. Exactly. And yeah, clown, that's 
That's completely true. Oh yeah, being on a or being a parent is a completely different level of everything with addiction. One if you are struggling with addiction, you have to think this is going to affect my kid's life. Not this could have the chance to. This addiction is going to affect my child unless yeah. I get sober. Because I guarantee you, whether you realize it or not, you are struggling with something and it is going to affect them. It's going to change your mental state. It's going to change how you interact with your child. I can 100% back that up. Yeah, as a child of a former drug addict, actually two former drug addicts, uh, it's not fun. Not fun at all. Now, at the same time, I would also like to say some people are using drugs beneficially. Definitely. There are people that need Xanax. You can still get addicted to something you need that benefits you. Yeah, that no matter what, you can get addicted to something. Once you have addiction, you're always going to have that issue. Whether it's due to drugs, or you're addicted to playing video games, or people, and always trying to help people. Like that savior complex is a form of addiction. The constant playing video games all the time without a schedule or without a monitoring system basically like say you're literally playing for 24 mm. like almost 17 hours a day every day that is an addiction as well it's not just drugs and that's something you also have to be aware of and even the stuff that helps you can still be an addiction but you oh. can still do some things that aren't as damaging to you, but you just have to remember, I need to moderate and control it. Most definitely. And if you are taking a prescribed medication that you need, like say Xanax or uh, Ritalin or yeah, Oxy, there is almost always a less or non-addictive version of that drug you just got to talk to your doctor they will help you and they will do everything they can to help you fight the addiction as well yes that is one thing i will say that is pretty unilateral with doctors no matter what is if you say i've had addiction or i have troubles with addiction they will try to help find the generic of the stuff which are usually end up being a little less like military if you have surgery you know they give you the narcotics but they always give you a small amount of the narcotic and they give you like a shit ton of ibuprofen or tylenol oh yeah like the most definitely like you know it's like after giving birth and like you know you sit there and you're like i still can't believe they gave me ibuprofen for the healing part after giving birth like no i did oh, yeah. not just push out an eight pound baby okay i don't Definitely. like i um i had like 600 milligrams of um ibuprofen and i'm like sitting here i'm like this is what you want me to take for six weeks of pain 
Yeah, I don't mean to laugh, but we got home from the hospital and got the prescription of ibuprofen home for the first time. Danielle looked at the bottle and said, they want me to take those fucking horse pills when I'm in pain? No, we were yeah. actually still in the hospital. Or, yeah, we were still in the hospital at that point. Yep, and don't even forget about the prenatal. It's just as big. Oh, I told him I wasn't taking the prenatal. Yeah. I straight up told him, I said, you can take that back. They tried to give me the um, potassium pill. I said, oh, yeah, no, you guys can take that back down to pharmacy. Yeah, she was more uh, willing to take the IV injection version of it than the actual pill. I don't blame her. Right. Well, finding out when um, I was actually pregnant and I was in my third trimester that I realized that I had coleostasis of pregnancy, which caused me to go into preterm labor a whole month early. And I was in the hospital and they put me on magnesium and my magnesium dosage was so high, like, I couldn't even go to the bathroom and get up all by myself. Like, I had to scream for Christian to come over and help me. Like, there was no possible way for me to get up. And he was like, look, he goes, she needs to be, like, taken off of this because she can't do anything by herself. Yeah, the nurses were not paying attention to her magnesium levels and basically just left it on a full drip and almost overdosed her on it. For two days. Yeah, the, um, when I was when I was going through labor, um, the nurses for my epidural, so I, I told them to give me the drugs. I wasn't doing that shit, especially after them fucking rupturing a vein. Fuck that. Um, they, so when you get an epidural, they're supposed to swap you, like literally flip you so that way it evens out on both sides every time. They mm. kept me on my left side because I have a hip injury, so they kept me on my left side, so I completely went, I went paralyzed, literally on my, in like almost my entire left side of my body, because they also said, every time you start to feel pain, press this button to get the extra. And that was 23 hours of just that, until like probably the last four, that's when they were like, oh, we have to swap your sides, only do it when you start to feel like the higher amount of pain because yeah the night nurse caught it and was like oh shit like no you're not supposed to be completely paralyzed and i'm like hmm i am and then yeah that's how i felt like whenever i was in the hospital um they realized that i was like three centimeters dilated and moved me from three i moved from a three to a four within like a whole day so I had to move from like a different hospital, like from one hospital to another. Well, they were like, oh, well, you're gonna be in here for like a few days. So I was in there for like mm, like a week. And the doctors and nurses came in, they're like, okay, well, we want you to get up and walk around and make sure you're not gonna have any more contractions. And we're gonna put you on this pill to like, you know, take as needed if you're, you know, if you have contractions. And I was like, okay. Well, like there's no way of me not having contractions. Like it's gonna happen regardless. So I'm sitting there and the day that we walked in for me to give birth, like, I was already six centimeters dilated at 100% facing. So, I was, like, ready to go. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, like, this is great. But, like, after he was born, like, you know, he had this, like, raspy, like, kind of sound coming. And the nurse was like, okay, well, we're going to have to take him to the NICU. 
and um, I was like, well, when can I see him, or, you know, like, is he coming back into the room, and the nurse was like, well, I can't tell you until, like, the next day or whatever. Well, one of the nurses woke me up in the middle of the night, and she's like, oh, hey, you need to feed him, and he's staying in the room. I was like, I fell asleep not realizing I was going to have to take care of my son. Yeah, like, when, when my daughter was born, she was, I went two weeks early, um, but when she was born, she wasn't even responding. Like, I literally felt her kicking, like, that morning when, at the beginning of labor, and then when she was born, she was not, res she was unresponsive, and it was the color of a stillborn. Wow. And I just, like, that helplessness, which, yes, the dad will feel, but it's, like, a different type of helplessness for the mom, to be honest. Because it's, like, you're literally laying there, and it's, like, you, you cannot do anything at all. Right. I agree with you 100%, because, like, when our son was in the hospital and then the NICU, like, I had no clue that he was coming back in the room. Like, the nurses never called the room that I was staying in. And then they gave him on oxygen because his O2 stats were really bad. And he kept dropping. And they never called us during that time. And they were just sitting there. And every time, like, they had, like, the HIPAA stuff where you couldn't go in there between, like, a certain time of the damn day. Um, that's when he always had his drops. I'm like, what is going on? Yeah. Because, like, for me, they... The doctors didn't until literally like, like the the other the the next day or something. That's when a doctor told me what was happening. Otherwise, it was all dad, and they had my husband out there with them, and he was the one that they were telling all of the updates to, and not me. Because they're like, well, you know, you just got done with this. You need to relax. You need to let all of this go and then do. And it's like, no. Like, what the hell's going on? Like, that's and your then, child. Yeah. I had one nurse literally sit there and she made me miss a feed. Because she was like, well, we need to do this, 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 and this on you. I'm like, look, I'll take care of that when I get back. I have to go feed my child. Yes. What the hell? So we actually had several problems in the NICU. Like one, we found out on the second day that they weren't feeding him during the day shift because they had us marked as breastfeeding. And then we also they found know. out they should have had them on. They should have had them on a sugar water drip. Oh yeah, and then on top of that, um, after about the third or fourth day, it took me investigating to find out that his O2 drops were due to an older nurse that was a complete know-it-all swaddling him so tight he couldn't breathe so by the end of the first week there i was trying to get several people fired just for negligence because well, we had like also too like they refused to give him a sleep sack they refused to tell me when he needed to eat. he didn't go he went like what five hours without eating christian yep at about two to three days old, purely because the nurse did not do her job at all. And they took him in for the car seat test, and it was like, oh, well, his O2 stats dropped, so we're going to try it again here in a little bit, tried it again, and it did it again, so, like, we're freaking out, and they said that we can bring in the base, 
for the car seat, and then the nurse was like, oh, no, we can't do that. Yeah, uh, we didn't even get them to stop swaddling him too tight in the NICU until I had to call the director of the hospital directly and tell them what was going on. And even then, they still barely listened to legitimate concerns we were having. And then they also refused to sign over um, for him to go over to Cardinal Glennon. Yeah, because I... Because I gave birth at SSM. Yeah, I requested a transfer to a different children's hospital in the area, and the head nurse refused to do it. No, but uh, backtracking a little bit, uh, AFSPS Streamwatch said if you're... Well, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but if you are trying to get sober, make sure you're not swapping one addiction for another, and... Don't let someone else be the reason that you are getting sober because there is a chance that they can leave and you will lose that goal that you had for getting sober. Exactly. Do it for yourself, not because someone else wants you to be. Definitely. Like, you don't want to sit here and, like, get sober for somebody. Like, you want to get sober for yourself. Granted, like, okay, let's say it's for your kids. Then, like, yeah, I can see it becoming, like, that kind of point of view where you get sober not for just yourself but for your, you know, kids as well because you don't want your kids to follow in the aspect about, like, learning, okay, well, it's okay to do all this and it's okay to look like mommy or daddy or it's okay to look like auntie and uncle. Like, you don't want all that to happen because, like, then when your child thinks that's okay, that makes you feel like, wow, what did I just teach them? Yeah, but even in that... When it's, if it's like with having a kid, you're still doing it for yourself versus I'm doing this for, oh, my, my crack addicted boyfriend is like, yeah, you need to get sober so that way you can provide for us. You're essentially, okay, here's my addicted brain, making that person as a savior because you may not, you may or may not know what that they're doing. Person that came to my mind. Sorry. Yeah, no, I would also like to elaborate on that a little bit. Um, in a situation like that, you've also got the issue of possibly becoming addicted to working and trying to provide for someone that, in all honesty, doesn't care about you. And that can be more dangerous than anything else because who knows what's going to happen if you don't do what they want you to do. Oh, definitely. Like, I know I was addicted to working, like, for a while because, like, I had three jobs at one point in time and I didn't really have time for myself or for my mental health. So, like, working three jobs just to provide for, like, you know, paying bills or, you know, rent or whatever you had to pay for, like, that was just, like, so much on my body. I'm like, okay, well, where is this time that I'm sleeping me? Because I don't see it. Oh, yeah. My addiction to making money and providing for my family is by far the most dangerous one I've ever had. And I know for a fact I get that from my dad because he is the exact same way. Now, I get it. I can't exactly overdose on working too much. But just like doing drugs all the time can damage your family life, so can working 18 to 20 hour days and not sleeping and not being around your family. Like uh, Knight said earlier, the mental addiction can be just as dangerous as a chemical one. I would say that, <laughs> uh, yeah, you can't overdose off of overworking, but you definitely can die due to sleep deprivation. Um, 
that is a thing. That is, uh, yeah, that is a very good point. That didn't even cross uh, my mind. <laughs> that, that, thing, that does exist. I have severe ADHD like, as well. Yeah, sleep, yeah, sleep de deprivation is never something that occurs to me that can actually happen. Ah, uh, who needs sleep? Sleep's for the weak. Yeah, I have ADHD and insomnia. Oh yeah, I go through phases where I don't sleep for days and then I crash for a week. Oh yeah, I know. We've done that. One yeah, time. yeah, we Remember. just we just had that earlier this week, as a matter of fact. No, but um, with that, we are at about the hour and a half mark. So we are going to shut down the podcast. And remember, if you guys need help with any issues you're having, there is a crisis hotline, which let me pull up that number really quick. Uh, so the, yep, the suicide and crisis hotlines are both 988 if you're in the United States. So if well, you guys... In the, out of the United States area, Kristen. Well, there's a shit ton of those that I can't really pull up right now but most countries do have resources a simple google search will be able to pull it up for you beyond that i would like to say thank you to the amazing guest stars on this podcast uh night tv which you can find on youtube prophet eli who also goes by prophet jaeger on his social media and tad blitch y'all have a great night thank you you too thanks you have a great night thanks for having me on